This week is Corporate Mental Health Week and a good opportunity to look at matters of mental health and wellness, uh, particularly in the workplace. And we know that this is something that costs the country billions of rands annually. And um, as a result of either absenteeism in the workplace, uh, people being unable to uh, show up for work simply because of the mental health issues that they're dealing with. Professor Renata Schumann is head of healthcare leadership at Stellenbosch Business School. Professor Schumann, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Morning, Kathy. Morning, listeners. What is the state of the mental health and wellness of workers in this country? South Africa, unfortunately, is not doing well in many aspects, as earlier in the program would have um, supported. But when we look at the recently published Mental State of the World report, South Africa scored the lowest average on mental health and well-being across 34 countries that was included in this study, and also showed that anxiety and depressive disorders have increased with more than 25% over the past couple of years. Now, unfortunately, we cannot look at the government to solve this. We all have to take responsibility, one, for our own mental health as employees, but employers and organizations should also take heed and understand that mental health illness has significant personal organization and societal cost. And unless organizations also make mental health issues a strategic priority, these are costs are set to increase. And prevention is clearly a way more judicious approach than just a reactive approach when there's already an issue. I think when I look at some of the issues that people are still struggling with, one can sort of understand when we take into account where the country is. We're looking at the high rates of burnout. We're looking at anxiety. We're looking at depression. And all of these, I think, can be triggered by the environment, economic environment that this country finds itself in and the pressure that that is putting on workers about their own futures and, you know, heightening their own fears around what what, what life um, could well look like going into the future. Absolutely. So it's important to look at it from a systemic perspective. So we can't only look at the Department of Health. We can't only look at ESCOM. We can't only look at COVID. You know, we need to understand that all of these things interact. Many people still struggle with the aftermath of COVID financially, but also the loss of loved ones. But then also currently, people struggle with adapting to the hybrid workplace. So previously, we worked maybe only from home, if you were employed from home. Um, and that blurred the boundaries between office and personal life, and it was difficult to disconnect and to recharge. But in a way, you had a little bit of control in terms of the time you spent with your family, etc. where now you're back to commuting, yet you're still being expected to be available 24-7. The downfall of working from home was the social isolation and the reduced interpersonal connections. It might even jeopardize your career progression. But now, being back in the office, you might be in the middle of the politics and the toxic workplace environment where the stigma surrounding mental illness might still prevent you from reaching out when you really need it. 
And I think that's the big challenge. Our organizations cannot just assume that, yes, I have an employment assistance program in place. And yes, we had something that worked during COVID and lockdown. We're just going to continue with that. That is not relevant. It's important to have a more holistic approach and also to understand that many employees value mental well-being above all else. And that it's also important for organizations then to look that this mental health program should be relevant also and part of the attraction and retention programs, especially for the younger generations that have the ability to up and go or to look for alternate employment, etc. Professor Skuman, what we are seeing are employees that are looking for workplace environments um, and in management effectively that care about their mental well-being. But we know that that takes a big mindset shift. Many companies, especially now, are focused on productivity. And we had a conversation um, just in the last two weeks where, unfortunately, the trend that we're seeing um, in corporate South Africa is that people are now expected to take on more responsibility, do more work for either equal pay or even less pay. Mm, that is very true. And many organizations, as you said, care more about the productivity than the emotional well-being. I also don't think we can expect from any organization to care only about emotional well-being and not of the productivity. So there should be a balance. However, emotionally well-supported employees are happier, less stressed and anxious, more creative, more productive. They have more job satisfaction and therefore they lower staff can over and less conflict, which saves an organization a lot of money. You're also talking about the role of hybrid working and we know that there are a lot of companies that sort of looked at that post-COVID-19 and said actually um, you know this is something that is working for us so they have what now uh, are described as flexible working schedules so you as the employee can choose whether you work from home whether you work from office it's not the same in all industries but we do have a number of industries that have sort of gone that route what is the success of this hybrid working model? It's interesting. We're currently also doing studies at the business school specifically to look at bigger organizational and societal factors that influence the success of these models, but also personal factors. And personal factors can have to do with your personality. So extroverts tend to do better in the office and introverts sit down. But it can also have to do with practicality. Some people just do not have a very conducive setup at home. They might not have all the, you know, necessarily backup power that they need. They might not have a second monitor or a printer or reliable Wi-Fi or whatever the case may be. And for, or even a dedicated workspace. You know, if you're in a smaller place and there's many other people sharing with you, it's not conducive to work from home. So there's many personal factors that also play a role, which I don't think has been properly researched up to now to say really what is the success rate and what not. But if we look and do, I would almost say, an informal sample, just in your own environment, if you speak to people, most people prefer the hybrid model. In other words, I have choice in terms of flexibility of time and flexibility of space. But everyone agree 
that only working from home is not the way to go. And also, everyone agrees that I don't necessarily only want to work from the office. And it has to be navigated because if you work in isolation from home and there is an EAP program, you might be struggling in isolation and none of your colleagues have interaction with you to realize that you, she needs a little bit of support or a hug or a kind ear or a shoulder or whatever the case might be, or she might need professional support. But people don't know because you're isolated at home. And we need to rethink how are we going to be vigilant that we do not miss people that need support, that we do not make them suffer in silence, that we do not isolate them further. What can organizations do to ensure that they still do have the necessary team building or social interaction that you need to create a positive culture at work, but also an emotionally safe space for employees? I want us to also talk about burnout um, because I think that that is a big issue that workers are facing. Again, given where the economy is sitting and people literally just wanting to hang on to the jobs that they have, many people are giving a lot more of themselves to their jobs that that is leading to burnout. And some are afraid to take time off just because of, of the fear of what might happen when one is away from the office for too long. Yes. Um, the burnout conversation is a very important one, but I also think it's one that may be um, used too, too easily. You know, when you're tired and you're sleep deprived and you're overworked, that is what it is. You're tired, you sleep deprived and you're overworked. You're not necessarily have burnout. Burnout, we need a real specific cluster of symptoms before it's being diagnosed. And we also must remember that burnout is not a medical diagnosis. It's an occupational phenomenon. And usually by the time someone is diagnosed with so-called burnout by a healthcare professional, they already have anxiety or depression, which is treatable conditions. And merely resting is not always the answer. You know, so, so we need to make sure that we diagnose correctly and we also do not use the terminology burnout too loosely. I think what would be an important shift for organizations is maybe to move away from the burnout discussion, which is in a way also reactive. What do we do when people have burnout? But more to the resilience conversation. What can I do to bolster my employees' resilience? so that they can deal with stresses without necessarily experiencing emotional distress. How can I create that supportive environment which builds resilience? Yes, a supportive environment also prevents burnout. But I just think burnout almost is a negative discussion. Shouldn't we switch the discussion in South Africa to resilience? We are a resilient society. We are resilient people. But how can we create resilient children, resilient students and teenagers, resilient adults that with the necessary support and the necessary internal resources can deal better with the stresses at work? But as I mentioned, we cannot discuss the one without the other. We must recognize our own responsibility in looking after our mental health. And organizations have to acknowledge their responsibility in creating this constructive workplaces where we can promote resilience and promote mental health. Dr. Skuman, let's talk about the advice that you would give um, to to workers right now who are feeling that 
their mental health is taking a toll. They don't know how to reach out. They don't know how to make sure that these concerns are raised within the workplace, at least not to an extent that it will make them um, look like they're bad employees, make them live with the stigma of not being well? I think the very first step is to acknowledge if you are struggling, it is important to reach out to someone you trust, whether it is a colleague, a family member, or if it's a dedicated person in charge of an employee assistance program at work. That is really always my advice. Make sure that if you need help, that you do reach out. The person that you reach out might then be able to point you in the right direction because it's not the same in every organizational family. Secondly, there is many things that you can do for yourself in terms of self-care, looking at your sleeping patterns, exercise, avoiding alcohol, making sure that you're eating healthily, and also that you have social connections that you nurture. So the seeds of self-care, as I call it. And that is what you can do for yourself, the first two things. But then it is important that if you do find that there's certain issues in your workplace, whether it's people that doesn't respect your personal time after hours, or if it's a toxic colleague or whatever the case might be, or the workload, that you do reach out to your line manager and then can bring that conversation to the attention of the leaders. And in the end, the leaders are the one that can change the environment. They are the ones that must walk the walk and talk the talk. They need to lead by example. But it's really about collaboration. It's really about educating yourself in terms of when, what do I feel is a normal response to an abnormal situation? And when is maybe the emotions and the feelings and the reactions I experience abnormal given the situation? And that's very difficult to judge for yourself. And that's why I say it's important to reach out for help. But if in doubt, always reach out to a healthcare professional, whether it's a general practitioner, a psychologist, social worker, a psychiatrist, they will be able also to point you out into the right direction, whether it's in terms of diagnostic and real therapeutic care, or whether it is just support that you need and maybe a bit of counseling, or whether there is something that the organization needs to change, which is contributing to the, the current situation that you are in. Mm. And, and, and when, it, when it comes down to making a decision about whether or not to leave a job, what would you say are the things one needs to consider, especially where environments have become toxic, where people feel that, you know, they just can't take it anymore? It's a difficult question given the socioeconomic context. It's not that easy to just walk out and find something else, depending on your age and depending on your skill set, obviously, as well. The problem is just if you, for example, have depression, the problem is going to follow you. If you have depression and everything is difficult at the moment in your current job, it is going to be the same in the other job. So you still need to, to make sure that you treat your depression. I often advise people while you are depressed, don't change your job, your car, your wife, you know, that, or your house, um, because everything looks more dark when we're in this depressive episode and first get the treatment and then take the decision. However, when there's a very clear mismatching values, your value system is not aligned with the value system of your organization, then leave. As a lone person, you're not going to be able to change the value system of your organization. 
if it's other issues in the organization, it is lack of support, it is maybe you were promoted outside of your skill set or maybe someone left on maternity leave or resigned or whatever and you expect to do two people's work, that is things that can be changed in the work environment if you speak up. But if you suffer in silence, people might not realize what you are going through. If you do speak up and you find that there is a retribution or that it's not handled with a correct support and confidentiality, um, you know, there, there is maybe legal recourse or OT recourse, but I would have the conversation, and I think it's only when your resources or the avenues within your organization have been explored and you then realize, but you know what, I should not be here. If your gut then tell you and your heart then tell you, I should not be here, then move on. Otherwise, you most likely are the one that's going to suffer the most and not the organization. All right. Thank you so much for that insight, Professor Renata Skuman, the head of healthcare leadership at Stellenbosch Business School. It's time for your latest news headlines.